Well, this may look a little bit different today because we wanted to give you guys some perspective about a couple of different folks who have said yes to going on mission. And so we've got some examples of someone who went on a short-term trip this year, somebody went on a mid-term trip this year, and a couple that's in the process of going overseas long-term. And just wanted to ask them a couple of questions and maybe address some of the questions that you guys have today too. It can be very overwhelming to start to think about, oh my gosh, okay, well maybe God is asking me to take some kind of step, but what does that even look like? And that was really the situation with Bobby and Maylin. Um, they came and visited us uh, around Sending Sunday. They had been visiting Fielder. They weren't sure if they were uh, going to be coming to this church, um, and so they had visited. Maybe it was like your third time to come was Sending Sunday last year, and they were like, okay, we're moved by this message, and we've got to respond to it. But what does that mean, and what does that look like? And so for them, they went on a journey where, at least at one point, one felt more called than the other, but they said, okay, but as a couple, we've got to respond to this. And then they said yes to mission this year. Um, and so you guys went on a short-term trip this year, and you've been processing about what that might look like for your future, too, and that the short-term trip may have given you some insight. So talk to us a little bit about what the cost was that you had to count to go on your short-term trip, but then also what it looks like to really process is this something that God's calling us to long-term? Yeah, sure. Um, so, like uh, Richard said, uh, Malin felt called the moment we were at Sending Sunday. Like, God was clearly speaking to her, you need to go. I didn't feel that call. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't feel like God was saying, you need to go. And so, we were going to send Malin, and she was just going to go on her own. Uh, but we spent some time with our community group leaders who shared with us that it would be really wise um, really good for both of us to grow and see this together, to go out and experience that. And that was a cost for me. Um, it was going to be time off from work. Uh, it was going to be a cost for us to fundraise for two people instead of one. Uh, but the Lord provided. Um, that was incredible. He, he fundraised our entire goal. Um, amen to God. Um, and he, he provided the time off. That was all him. And when we went, we saw such an incredible need. Um, this, this place that we went to is 99% non-believers, and there's less than 100 people trying to share the gospel out there, and we, we couldn't have done that separately. And so getting to do that together really was such an incredible experience. God really moved through that. That's awesome. Thank you guys for sharing that. Like you mentioned, we encourage you to fundraise for your trips. We have scholarships that are available, like Jason mentioned earlier in the giving moment. Um, but really, if you're faithful to put these things out there, God wants to give you every dollar you need. Um, even with vacation time, we hear pretty often like, oh my gosh, this is such a burden for uh, me to start to process this. And I don't want to just say those are excuses because those are real things that you need to process. And really, we talk about that as counting the cost, as really weighing out what will it take to say yes to the mission that God's placed in front of us. One of those two, Shana Rios, who's been a part of our, uh, our staff here as well as a part of our SEND residency. Shana actually came to us from one of our SENDing churches, so one of the churches that we regularly send um, uh, uh, students to go and serve alongside and that we've been sub sending supporting dollars to. And then she came to learn from us about what it might look like to go overseas. And so Shana's been in that process of praying through that. But even though she was feeling called and, and knowing that she was supposed to go um, overseas long-term, you said yes to a midterm. And you also said yes to a short-term, too, in addition to that. 
But in that process, how did midterm opportunities, so what we're talking about when we say midterm is anywhere from uh, three weeks to 11 months of serving in a place, um, trying to process through if this is a place that God could call you, what did you learn during that time, and what are some of the costs that you're weighing differently now as you think about your long-term journey? Yeah, um, so I was in a country in Central Asia for a month um, this past summer, and it was honestly very eye-opening. It was my first time that I had gone on an overseas mission trip, um, and when I came back and was processing what had happened, um, it was in a country where it was 99% Muslim. Um, I just realized um, how um, there's such a need, um, but also when you go, it's like the spiritual warfare, like I was not expecting. Um, and honestly, I came back and I was like, am I supposed to go long term? Um, and I'm still like, I'm in the process right now of counting the cost. Um, but I know that in the span of eternity, I get forever with Christ. Um, I get forever to be uh, with the body of believers that I love. Um, and I've like this life to share the gospel. Um, and so why not go? And with counting the costs and with just processing, knowing that the Lord is faithful, but like I know that in my head, but having that translate into my heart is hard sometimes. Um, and I'm not, um, I, I don't feel equipped a lot of the time. Um, I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but I know that the Lord, he gave me his spirit and he called me to go. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go, um, and it's, it's been a journey, and I'm in that process right now of really um, just have, yeah, going to him and um, knowing that he's trustworthy, but asking him to really transform my heart, um, yeah. So to add to that, too, part of what we've been walking with Shana in and some of our others who have returned from midterm or even those who are processing, okay, Maybe I do feel some kind of calling to go long-term, but I don't know where to start. Um, we've got processes that we want to help you through. We want to pray with you. We want to take you on a journey. Um, there are classes that we're offering. There are, uh, there's prayer training. Um, there's a residency that you could apply for and be a part of. Um, but we try to set up these intentional places so that we can process together, that you're not alone in trying to decide what is it that God's calling me to. Because, again, we're not sending you out by yourself. We're partnering with you as you go. Um, you're an extension of our body when you go to these places. And so in those midterm opportunities, you come back and you might experience something different or the weight of the lostness weighs differently. And so it's something to process through and we want to partner with you in that, like Shana mentioned. We also have the Mays here uh, that are in the process of going long-term. Uh, their um, prayer and hope is that they get to engage with Muslims in uh, London and be able to see them come to faith in that area. Um, they have been uh, praying about going overseas for several years. I'll let you mention how long that's been um, and processing through what that cost looks like. Well, in that time, uh, they've had two children and uh, they're weighing out what that looks like to take their entire family to go. And so you've got a different cost uh, to be counted than a short-term trip or a midterm trip. Um, tell us about what that journey has looked like for you guys and maybe why it's worth it to still say yes. Yeah, so right out of uh, Bible college, we were just like, you know, we had two kids. Um, our youngest daughter was born the year or the semester we graduated. And we were like, we knew we wanted to be sent, but we were like, oh, there's no way we can go now. There's, I think we wanted to create every excuse possible as to why we couldn't because we have this young daughter. 11 months later, we have a second daughter, and we're like, there's no way. 
And so uh, we also didn't know what it looked like to be sent long-term and, and how much sacrifice I was going to take. And so I wanted to do it, or we wanted to do it our way. Um, we didn't want to do it the Lord's way. And so we said, you know, we're going to try all these different ways to be sent on our own and not allow the Lord to send us. And so he just shut them all down. And, and I'm such a, like a financial analytic guy, and I constantly am looking at our finances, making sure that we have enough and that I have provided enough. But the Lord, through this process, I think has really humbled that, um, and, and, and me specifically, but um, in our family, because there's nothing we can do to provide for our family. He has been providing the whole time. And so we had this, um, I had this job that was, you know, we we're in a safe place now financially. We were looking to, to uh, purchase another house at the beginning of this year, and the Lord vividly spoke to, my, to me and said, it's time to go. And it was at this time that I was finally successful, and we were finally um, gaining traction in, in, in the secular world. And I looked at my wife, and I said, it's time. And she looked at me, and she was like. I looked at him without needing any context, and I said, I know. Because at the same time the Lord was speaking to Cody, he was also convicting me and speaking to me about it's time. Stop putting it on the back burner. I called you both at individual times in your life, and it's time to go. And so, and so um, I, I didn't know what this process looked like at this point, but we, we had two young children. We have grandparents. We have all this family that we're super close with, and um, we were walking through the process, and they, our organization said, you got to look at maybe quitting your job to full-time support raise. I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. And my, my wife's like, yeah, we, we'll, we'll make it work. And, you know, you don't have to quit. And the Lord again told me, you need to quit. You need to quit your job and just trust that I'll provide. And on our, fly, uh, plane, our plane, airplane flight back home, um, the Lord had just provided all these finances for us to, to quit my job. And so we saw that provision and we saw that this was the will for our, our lives. And so we knew that um, I just had an overwhelming sense of peace that I, I have to quit. This is, what, this is what he's called us to do. And so that was, I think, the biggest cost for us was us just giving our finances to the Lord and saying, this is no longer me providing. This is you providing and knowing that you will make the way for us. Two was our family. Um, we're super close, and I think it's going to be really difficult um, to let that part go, and we're still working through that. But I know that once we are um, in London and we are serving, that he will give us the, the strength and the encouragement to overcome that. And, and um, the, the third is our house. We have a house that we, is very, very dear to our hearts, and we have to give that up. And um, I think that's, that's going to be pretty tough for us. We're, you know, we just sold it, but um, the Lord is great. Can I expand on that real quick? Um... <laughs> Sorry. Um, this house. Um, it was my mom's house, and um, she received it through Habitat for Humanity. And she was a single mom with three kids, and it brought stability, it brought peace, it brought comfort. Um, and we knew that this is going to be something that we have to sacrifice. And just this past Wednesday, we went under contract. Well, this past Wednesday was also nine years since my mom passed um, from cancer. And so I'm going through all these emotions. And as I'm getting ready for the day to come to Wednesday night prayer, the Lord um, stopped me and asked me very sweetly, just reminded me, am I worth it? Yeah. And we were just singing, um, you know, to give 
to, he gave his life for us, what, what sacrifice, you know, what a small sacrifice to give back to him. So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that and being vulnerable, too, in the way that you shared. With all of these stories, um, there's so much more behind them, and there's so much that God taught each of them, too, in their obedience, that so much of us saying yes to go is not just to serve the people in the other places. It's not just so we can have a good experience. It's so that we can grow closer to Christ, and we can abide with him more and hear his voice that much more intimately. And in that is where our obedience lies. Man, praise God for such testimonies of people who say, I'm, here I am, God. And when Leslie was, when she just said that statement, am I, am I worth it? That's the question he's asking all of us, Leslie. He's asking us, am I worth it? And whatever sacrifice I would ask you to make, am I worth it? And, and you get to see people on stage and you get to hear them say, yes, we've said, I believe God's worth it. I'm ready to move my family, my home, and go to the other side of the earth. And we applaud them, we're grateful. Oh God, thank you for these people. Man, they are just next level. These, these are just super saints. I'm so glad they're here, but I could never do what they do. I just think there's a number of you in this room who are going to feel, a number of you watching online right now, you're like, I didn't even make it to church this morning, now, much less like move across the, the world right now. How, how could I do that? And I just, I want to caution you against this, here are these super Christians and I'm, I'm way down here. Because the moment you get that kind of thought, you're going to disqualify yourself for this wild adventure God is inviting you into. Because this message of being sent is for all of us, not just the super Christians that we think are around us. You see, I think, I think you just got to think about the call differently. The call isn't typically, okay, here I am, I've got my life now, I've got to sell my house, I've got to move my family, and I'm going to go over to Afghanistan or Indonesia or some other place, and just like tomorrow I've got to move everything, I've got to sell everything. That's not typically the way it works. And because we think of that kind of jump, we miss that God is calling us to something else. But actually, the call to being sent is just a series of dominoes falling one after the other. Now, I know, I know you can see these dominoes on stage, and you're curious what they are. Let me tell you what they are. They're an example of what's really going on. So I have in my hand here a normal domino. That's a little two-inch domino. And this is significant because it's you and me. This is how we feel. Pretty insignificant. And, and we know I, I don't have power, I don't have ability, and we hear stats, like there's this, this panel outside in the hallway that has a list of over 7,000 unreached people groups, and even just trying to pray for these groups, and you, you realize that's like 3.3 billion people who are going to likely wake up, live every day of their life, never even hearing the name of Jesus, and they're going to die in a crisis eternity, and we, we feel that weight, and we're going, like, what can I do as a domino when that's like a domino about the size of the Empire State Building. Like, I, I can't topple that domino over. And, and even the thought of, like, living my life on mission feels like my domino trying to knock over this eight-foot domino over here. That's, this is eight-foot. This is you and me. A lot of times, we feel like, okay, I'm going to go be a missionary. Nothing happens. Because a two-inch domino can't knock over an eight-foot domino. But here's the crazy thing about dominoes. A domino, just, this is just physics now, has the capacity because of the momentum of the fall to knock over another one that's 1.5 times the size of that domino. Some of you math people, you get that easily. Some of you are going, I have no clue what you're even saying, Jason. 50% more. So a two-inch domino can knock over a three-inch domino. A three-inch domino can knock over a 4.25-inch domino. 
4.25 inch domino can knock over 6.7. You, mean, you, you see it, right? Just, just gets a little bit progressively bigger. That, that's what these dominoes are. Now, I have no clue if this is going to work or not. I heard in the Spanish service it took a few attempts. But praise God, the Lord is gracious and gives us multiple attempts. I'm going to move this over here. Okay. I've got my little two-inch domino right here. Now, I wonder what's going to happen. Let's find out. Now, you think, you think right now that nothing's going to happen, but this is the Holy Spirit here. <laughs> so a two-inch domino plus the Holy Spirit of God equals an eight-foot domino being knocked over. Now, listen, I, I want you to come back. I just, I, I really want you to understand what's going on here because this is crazy town. Okay, this right here, this is a massive domino, people. I, I, I'm just really, I'm just wanting you to get a little perspective. This little domino with a little wind of the spirit knocks over this domino. Here's what's crazy. If we had 13 more dominoes, it would literally knock over a domino the size of the Empire State Building just by growing 1.5 inch every single time. Okay, well, that's great, Jason. Thank you for that lesson in mathematics, but what does that mean? When you see 3.3 billion people and you see something that feels impossible and you go, I can't do anything about it, it's because you're discounting what the Lord is doing and what he's calling us into. What he's actually calling is for your two-inch domino to knock over a three-inch domino. Not, a, not an eight-foot domino. Just take the next step. You see, the, the call to be sent is really just a call to say yes to the next domino and the next domino and the next domino. And he stretches you a little bit, and then he stretches you a little more, and then he stretches you a little more, and then you get stuck, and the Holy Spirit blows, and he stretches you a little more, and he stretches you a little more. This is how God works in our lives to ensure that we go to this crazy adventure and all of a sudden we look up and go, holy cow, the impossible just happened. The eight-foot domino fell. So, so it's, it's really about saying, what's my next domino? So when you, uh, when you came in, hopefully you, you got the sending catalog. If you didn't, I, I still want to make sure you grab this sending catalog because this catalog, what it has inside in its pages are a whole bunch of different size dominoes all the different opportunities that you can take to knock down the next domino and the next domino. So the greatest danger isn't that you can't take the next step. The greatest danger is that you won't care enough to do it. And, and I, I want to be real blunt with you here because this is something the Lord has been putting heavy on my heart. The, the issue of attacking the global lostness isn't that it's too complicated. It's that our hearts are too calloused. And I think we have to own up to that. And I say we because I'm included with you. I don't know if you know this history or not. I'm the lead pastor of this church. Now, I used to be the missions pastor of this church. I, I was, my whole job was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and even I struggle to live this out day in and day out. I heard a stat or a, a, a quote the other day. It was on Monday, actually. I, I hadn't, uh, it was not in the context of this message. It was just somewhere spoken. It just so beautifully tied into what I think the Lord is trying to teach us this morning. It was a friend of mine, and he said, I, I heard that this, this statement, I don't know who made the statement originally, but it says the, the death of a million people that you don't know 
is a statistic. The death of one person that you do know is a tragedy. It's all about knowing. It's all about involvement. I mean, you guys, you see this, right? Like if you hear like some kind of report that there were 338 fatalities, car accidents, it doesn't move your heart. But when you have a family member or a friend who's in a car accident and their life is taken, it is a tragedy because it's personal. By the way, it's the same way with spiritual lostness. I know there are some of you, and you come every Wednesday night for prayer because there's a name of somebody that you love that's on a rock, and you are praying that that person will come to faith. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a child, a wayward grandchild, somebody that you're praying, oh God, save them, oh God, save them, because the thought of them being in a Christless eternity is a tragedy. And then you hear about 3.3 billion people around the world who will live and die and never hear the name of Jesus, and it just doesn't hit us. The problem isn't that there aren't opportunities. The problem is that we don't care enough to take them. And again, I don't say that to accuse you. If I ever throw a rock at you, I've got a whole lot more coming back at me. All of us struggle with this. Callousness in our hearts. Even a prophet of God struggles with this. We're going to finish up this morning the book of Jonah, and we're going to look just real briefly. I've only got about an hour and a half with you, but we're going to look at what Jonah has to say. I've got like 12 minutes. I'm going to be hustling as I go through this. The book of Jonah, we're going to be in chapter 3. So open up to Jonah chapter 3. Now, now where you're going, let me remind you what we covered last week. So last week, God comes to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. And Jonah says, no, thank you, goes the opposite direction, ends up in the belly of the fish, about to die. In the belly of the fish, he cries out, oh, God, help me. God comes to him, rescues him, gives him a second chance to be obedient to the mission. That's where we get to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, now go ahead and put a pin right there in the story. This is kind of crazy. Jonah just delivered the absolute worst gospel message you have ever heard in the history of gospel messages. His message is, you're all dying and going to hell, period. Nineveh's going to be overthrown. No message of hope, no message of God's grace, no like instructions, here's how you repent and change. By the way, if you're going to share the gospel with somebody, don't follow Jonah's pattern. You're dying and going to hell, and then walk off. Because this shouldn't work. But here's what's so crazy. When God's in it, stuff that shouldn't work, works. I'm going to keep on reading. I want you to see what God does with the worst gospel message ever. Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh, Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Okay, pause there. If you're really reading this like a story, there's a moment you're going, what just happened right there? All that Jonah does is saying, you're all going to die. 
And then this evil, godless nation bows on their face and repents before God they don't even know. Even the king, the most arrogant, powerful man in the whole place, repents in dust and ashes. Now, I'm going to state the obvious. This had nothing to do with Jonah and his message. Now, I want you to hear this because this is one of the most, uh, most used excuses that I hear from people who say no to God's mission. They think the success of the mission depends on the quality of the messenger or the skill of the message delivered. But Jonah tells us another story. Doesn't depend on the messenger, doesn't depend on the message. It depends on the one about whom the message is spoken, God. It's about the God who sends the messenger to proclaim the message about God. So this is why I wanna take away this excuse. I know there are some of you going, oh man, I, I would, but I haven't gone to seminary yet. I would, but I don't know enough you know, answers to the questions that people are going to ask. You know, I, I would, but as if it's up to you. God is inviting you. You do realize God was going to save Nineveh with or without Jonah, right? Like he had nothing. To, he was a reluctant, terrible missionary. And through Jonah, revival breaks out in the city of Nineveh. It is not up to you. It is not about your skill. It's not even about the quality of your availability. I mean, he was horrible. And he finally sheepishly and reluctantly said yes, and revival breaks out. I, I don't know, Maze, what's going to happen when you go to London. I just have a sense that God is going to do something tremendous because it doesn't depend upon you guys. It doesn't depend upon the shoeys. It doesn't depend upon our other missionaries who are on the field. It depends upon our God. He's just calling you to say yes. Jonah reluctantly said yes, but it's actually in his saying yes in success of ministry you find out what was really wrong. Let's keep on moving. Let's see what really made Jonah reluctant. Verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? God basically said, are you serious, Jonah? I just showed my grace and mercy, and you're angry? And then he goes in next. We're not going to read it just for time's sake, but he, he gives him an illustration of what's going on. He, he, Jonah's in his anger just waiting to see what happens. This plant grows up over him to provide shade. He's so happy about the plant. And the next day, God withers the plant, and Jonah's all ticked off saying, I want to die. And God says, really, Jonah, you're ticked off because I didn't show pity to a plant? And then he says, verse 11, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? He said, are you serious? You're going to pity a plant, but you don't want me to pity 120,000 people created in my image. Basically, he's calling out Jonah saying, Jonah, are you really okay with these people dying and going to hell? And Jonah says, yep, I am. Listen, I don't think there's a single person watching this online or in this room that wants anybody else to die and go to hell. I don't think any of you are that cold-hearted. But let's go ahead and admit there's a little bit of Jonah inside all of us. See, it's not that we, we want them to die and go to hell. It's just that we don't care enough to actually disrupt our lives enough to do something about it. 
We're not willing to let the next domino fall and the next domino fall. We're okay just letting our dominoes stand on the ground, unbending, unyielding. Well, maybe we'll throw a little flare prayer out for them every once in a while when we're led to do so, but that's about it. But we're not really going to disrupt our lives. There's a little bit of Jonah inside every single one of us. And I think that's what the Spirit of God wants to change today. Here's, here's what I want you to hear, guys. This is so important. Right now, there is somebody in Southeast Asia who's going to close their eyes and go to sleep, and they're not going to wake up, and they're going to end their lives in a Christless eternity. And the reason why is because of our silence, because we don't get up to go and tell them. Man, it's, it's worse than that. There are people right now in Arlington, Texas, who go to UTA, who are from some of these unreached people groups, and they're right here in our own city, and they will come for four years, some of them for eight years, as they get their master's and PhDs, and never once be invited into the home of a Christian who will open up their lives and share the gospel with them. There are people who live in our neighborhoods who have grown up in Texas, who've never, ever been close enough to a Christian to actually hear the gospel message from them. It's not a shortage of opportunity. It's a shortage of caring. And God is saying, would you care? Would you do something about it? Listen, this at its core is a gospel issue. I'm not here to condemn you, please. I'm preaching to myself. I promise but God is trying to reveal to me that this is a gospel issue inside of our hearts. This is what got Jonah so frustrated. He forgot the gospel. You notice what he says? He's ticked off. He goes, see, I knew it because you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That word chesed, steadfast love, like this just relentless love for me. I knew that you were that way, God, and I didn't want you to show it to him. And yet Jonah was the same person that just a chapter before was in desperate need of it. Jonah, he had completely disobeyed God. He's in the belly of the fish. God deserved to let him die in the belly of that fish. But God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's the God who relents from disaster. So Jonah cries out and God saves him from the pit and gives him another chance. And Jonah, in a matter of days, forgets all about it and says, I can't believe you're gonna show them grace and mercy. This is what happens to us. We forget to breathe in the gospel. We forget to inhale the gospel, and therefore we forget to exhale the gospel. So what God is saying is you got to remember from where you've come. Every single one of us must remember. We should, we should know way better than Jonah. Jonah had a glimpse because God rescued him from the belly of a fish, but you and I have seen what real grace and what real mercy and what real steadfast love looks like. It looks like God saying, I'm going to put on flesh, I'm going to come to this world. I'm going to go ahead and, and live the life of obedience that you guys couldn't live. And then I'm going to go to a cross, and I'm going to pay the penalty that you guys couldn't pay. I'm going to go into the belly of the fish for three days, and then I'm going to rise from the dead so that you could be saved. That's what grace and mercy looks like. We know the full story. And if anybody should be willing to say, oh, God, you saved me, I'm willing to tell them it should be us who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. But we forget the gospel. We forget what's been done for us, and therefore we're not moved to go do it for someone else. Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to be willing to say to God, for all, after all that you've done for me, I just say yes. Whatever it is, God, yes. If it's just my next step, maybe my next step is to follow the maze and go overseas, and okay, God, my answer is yes. But for the vast majority of you, it's not that. It's the domino before. Maybe it's like Shana. You're just going to do a midterm trip where you're going to go find some things out a little bit longer and ask the hard questions. 
Many of you, it's way before that. Maybe you're going to say, okay, well, I just want to be a resident on staff and, and be a part of this culture and learn how I could be sent. Maybe it's before that. I'm just going to go on a short-term mission trip. I'm going to go see what God is doing. I'm going to give up my vacation, and, and I, want to, I want to be like the Gomez family and just, just take a step of faith. Maybe it's a domino before that. Maybe it's just you going, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try to share my faith with somebody in my city. I'm going to go to an international student, UTA, and try to share my faith there. Maybe it's a step before that where you're just going, okay, I'm going to share my story with another Christian just so that I can practice. Maybe it's a domino before that where all you're doing is praying for the lost people around you. It doesn't have to be a two-inch trying to knock over an eight-foot domino, but what's your next domino? And are you willing to say yes to whatever that is? You see, the worst thing you could do is to plant your feet and be passive. God is saying, arise, go. Whatever I'm asking you to do, just say yes, go. That next step and that next step, that next domino and that next domino. And before you know it, the Empire State Building will fall down because I'm the God who moves. The question is, are you willing to say yes? In a moment, you have the catalog. You're going to have an opportunity to take action. I would highly encourage you to take action before you leave this building. There's this crazy thing that happens the moment you leave. Your mind just shifts into something else. Start thinking about Thanksgiving. Start thinking about things you got. If you're like me, thinking about how to put up 300,000 Christmas lights, all these things are going to come to your mind, and you're going to forget what God is doing right now. And, and I don't want you to leave this place without taking a step of obedience. You can, you can learn more about it in that booklet. The question is, which domino needs to fall next, and are you willing to say yes? But let me, let me say this. Now, this is the thing I'm most worried about. There are some of you here. And you haven't let the first domino fall. That first domino that falls, that's faith in Jesus Christ. I know there are some of you who are here, and you need to hear this message. I'm not trying to be a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher. I'm just trying to tell you what's true. There's going to come a moment when we're going to breathe our last breath, and if we do not have the blood of Jesus Christ washing out our sins, then we, have, we stand to experience the wrath of an almighty God. I'm trying to be Jonah. I'm trying not to be as bad as Jonah. I want to give you some hope, but let me go ahead and tell you. God's wrath is coming. God's wrath is coming, and if you don't respond to it, you will be caught up into it. But let me tell you the good news. All of us have a means of the wrath of God not coming against us, and that means is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's faith in him. You just have to access the work of Christ through a simple step of faith, and that step of faith is humbling yourself. Did you notice what happened to the Ninevites? It says they put on... Dust and ashes, that, that was the ancient way of showing humility, saying, oh God, I need you. It's what Jonah had to do in the belly of the fish. Oh God, I need you. That's what you have to do today. You have to humble yourself. You have to say, oh God, I need you to save me. I don't want the wrath of God to come upon me. What I'm going to invite you to do in a moment is to come forward, and you're going to let one of us know that you're ready, because there's this baptistry up here on this stage, and this baptistry is up here to show you what it looks like to humble yourself. In, in that time, they put on dust and ashes, but we don't have any dust and ashes for you to put on, no sackcloth for you to wear. We have a Jesus in my place t-shirt that we want to give you and some shorts you can put on. But your act of humility is to take a bath in front of people watching. You're going to go under the water as a sign of your need to die in your old self and come out of the water as your sign of belief that Christ has made you a new creation. And here's the most beautiful part of it. That one step will initiate domino after domino after domino before an eight-foot domino can fall in your life. Miracles can take place. That thing that you feel like you can't overcome, you can overcome with this first domino. 
a situation that feels impossible, that place you need God to intervene, you begin to see the miracles once you let the first domino fall. The question is, are you willing to say yes? Only you can humble yourself and say, I'm ready. But it's going to require activity, not passivity. You're going to have to come forward in a moment and let one of us know. Pray you'll be ready. Before I invite you, let me say one last thing. I know there are many of you who would love to be a part of God's mission, but you know there's something stopping you. It could be a financial crisis in your life. It could be a health issue. It could be a relationship issue, maybe with a spouse or with a child or something that's weighing you down that keeps you distracted. Let me remind you, our God is a God who is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. He cares about what you're going through. Every Sunday, we have a time of prayer where you can lay that issue at the feet of the Lord saying, Lord, don't let this stop me from living a sent life. I want to I follow you. But you're going to have to come and lay it before the Lord in prayer. You can come bow down. You can come let one of us pray for you. You just need to respond. So I'm going to invite you all to stand up right now, if you would. I'm going to invite the pastoral staff and prayer team members to come spread around the front. If you need prayer, if you need to lay that thing at the feet of the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come. But most importantly, if you're here and you're saying, I need Christ to save me. I don't want the wrath of God to come upon me. I want to let the first domino fall so I can begin to see the miracles of God. You're going to have to come. I invite you to come. Respond as you need to.